Hey, I want to I want to show you a couple of verses from my sermon this morning because I didn't have enough time to show them to you, and I'll preach to you tonight. Okay. All right. I want to show you Isaiah or not Isaiah Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel for a moment, about chapter forty or thereabouts. Okay. All right. Let's see, chapter 43. All right, chapter 43. Remember this morning I was talking about that golden gate, that gate that's closed, that shut gate? How many of you remember that? All right. Bible says, verse 1, Afterwards he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looks towards the east. You see that? Same place, right? Okay. And I beheld the glory of the God of Israel coming in the way of the east, and the voice was the noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. The Bible says, verse 4, And the glory of the Lord came from the house that was by the way of the gate, whose prospect is towards the east. Look at chapter 44. He brought me back, verse 1, The way of the gate, the outward sanctuary, looks towards the east, and it was shut. Y'all see that? Okay. Then the Lord said unto me, The gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince, the prince, and he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord, and he shall enter the way of the porch of the gate, and shall go out the way of the same. Now I could keep going with that. I was just trying to show you there's a lot of spots that talk about that gate being shut, okay? Look at Psalm 40, uh, 24. How many of you know that Psalm 22, 23, and 24 kind of go together? That's like a trio of psalms. Do you all know that? Psalm 22 is the, sh- is the sh- suffering Savior. It's got all kinds of verses in there in Psalm 22. Like verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who said that? Jesus, where did he say that at? On the cross. Verse 6, I'm a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. Did Jesus find that, dis- that being despised on the cross? Yes or no? It goes, verse 7, all them that see, they laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip. They shake their head. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delights in him. Many bulls, verse 12, says... I'm going to kill phones one day. <laughs> no, just the phones. <laughs> I have no animosity towards people. It's just some stinking phones. Many bulls have compassed me, and strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. They gaped on me with their mouths. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. Verse 14. My heart is like wax. It melts in the midst of my bowels. For the dogs have compassed me, verse 16. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced me with their hands. They pierced my hands and my feet. By the way, does anybody see the cross in this passage? Yes or no? So that's the suffering Savior, chapter 22. Chapter 23 is the shepherd's song, right? Come on, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know that one, right? Okay, look at chapter 24. And drop down, if you would, to about verse number 7. The Bible says, lift up your head, O ye gates. 
And be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your hands, your heads, O ye gates, and even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. That's a messianic psalm saying that someday Jesus Christ will enter into the city of Jerusalem and that shut gate will be what? Now, is that totally cool or what? It's all neat verses in the Bible. Would you agree with that? I wish I had time to preach an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, but I don't. And, yeah, I know. There's two, there's two people that are for it and the rest of them against it. So anyways... Let's turn to First Peter. Turn to First Peter. I just wanted you to see that. Okay? There's some great verses in the Bible. There's some tremendous prophetic verses in the Bible. That gate is shut now, but someday it will be open. And Jesus will walk through that gate. Amen. Won't that be great? Amen. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. All right, now we're ready to study 1 Peter. We've got to change gears. That was this morning. This is tonight, all right? So we've got to go to a different deal here, all right? Now I'm going to talk tonight about angels and prophets and the Holy Spirit because that's what he's going to talk about. So I ain't going to make up anything. I'm just going to read what he says and make sure you get it, all right, or do my best. It says, verse 10, of which salvation now? Let's review. He's been talking about how great it is to have your salvation. And let's go back and review just for a moment. That salvation came to us in verse 2 because we're elect. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And we were set apart by the Holy Spirit. We were sanctified. Is that right? Okay. And the Bible says we were sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a great salvation. Would you agree with that? Anytime the Godhead gets involved and all three members of the Godhead have, have, have something to do with it, it's fantastic. Amen. And our salvation was, came to us by all three members of the Godhead. God the Father thought it. God the, Holy, uh, God the Son uh, bought it. Because he paid the price. Is that correct? And God the, God the Holy Spirit is the one that kind of Made it work because he's the one that comes along and regenerates us and convicts us and brings us to Christ. And man, salvation's fantastic. Now, because we're saved, the Bible says we are kept by the power of God. Let me ask you a question. How much did you do to get saved? Let me help you. You did the sinning. <laughs> Look in the mirror and smile at the sinner because that's what we are. You say, Pastor, what did you do to be saved? I did all the sinning necessary. And God did all the saving necessary. Amen. The Bible says that we're kept by the power of God. Who does the keeping? God does. Do I keep myself saved? I'm done. I'm toast. It'll never happen. Because I can screw up by about 6.30 when I get up at 6.25. Come on, smile at me, you wicked sinners. <laughs> and that's the truth. 
I'm kept by the power of God. Phil doesn't do the keeping. He does the keeping. And the Bible says he's going to keep me through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He's going to keep me by faith unto salvation. Now, remember the tenses of salvation. I am saved. I'm being saved. Someday I will be saved. So he's not talking there about the fact that I'm justified and I'm freed from the penalty of sin. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the fact that I'm being sanctified by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is trying to conform me into the image of Christ. What he's talking about is someday I'm going to be glorified. And someday I'm going to get a body that doesn't hurt and I can see again. (laughs) And I'll have hair other places than my ears. (laughs) Come on, keep smiling. The older you get, the weirder the hair gets. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> this morning we had a, a plucking time. <laughs> Beth got a light and we checked out my ear. <laughs> we were pulling hairs. One of them was how long? It was impressive. <laughs> I don't know how I miss them, but I do. I can't see them. <laughs> so, anyways, it's going to be great to be in heaven. How many great? Would you agree with that? Won't heaven be great? Yeah. By the way, I want you to pray for a little gal that needs heaven right now. Her name is Felicia Jones. She used to come to our church a long time ago, and she's 21 years old. She's uh, about 20 weeks pregnant. There about. She has a brain tumor. And on Wednesday, they're going to take that, as much as that brain tumor out as they can without killing that baby. Because they got to put her under, and, and putting them under is not a good thing, and she's going to have a surgery on Wednesday. Will you pray for her? Her daddy's name is Roy Jones. He's a member of this church, and he comes ever so often. So I want you to pray for her. She, she needs God's help. Would you agree with that? So let's pray for, put her on your list, okay? So someday it's going to be revealed. My salvation is going to be revealed in the last time. My salvation affects me in the past. My salvation affects me in the present. My salvation is going to affect me in the future. Is that correct? And this is the part. I'm going to be glorified. Now let's keep going. The Bible says, while I'm on this earth, I should greatly rejoice, (laughs) though for a season, because I'm in the heaviness of manifold trials. Because the trial of my faith uh, is more precious than gold. And I'm being tried by fire. And it's going to be bound into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. Who I haven't seen and I still love him. In whom uh, I see him not yet I still believe. And I rejoice with joy unspeakable full of glory. At the end of that I'm going to receive even the salvation of my soul. So he's talking about salvation. So when you get to verse 10, he's talking about that great salvation he's been talking about. That's the context. He says, verse 10, he says, uh, of which salvation? I started telling you about it in verse number 2 and following. He said, that the prophets have inquired and searched diligently and prophesied of that grace that should come unto you. And the grace that should come unto us The Bible says is none other than Jesus Christ because he, John chapter 1, is filled with grace and truth. Yes or no? Yeah, so it's talking there about Christ. Jesus is going to come. The prophets prophesied of Jesus Christ who would someday come. That grace would be made manifest unto us. And the Bible says that 
he, he appeared. He was manifested. He came born of a virgin, right? And man, isn't it great? Jesus Christ came and manifested himself. He was revealed to us. He was God in the flesh. So the Bible here talks about uh, prophets. Notice, the prophets have inquired and they search diligently. Now, what that salvation is, they begin to write about salvation, they begin to write about the Savior, they begin to write about all this neat stuff and they have no clue what they're writing about. And they inquire and they search and they say, man, what is this? Isn't that wild? You say, Pastor, how much do you believe the Bible's inspired? All of it, because they even wrote down things they didn't know and things they didn't understand. Stuff they didn't have a clue on. They just wrote it down like God said. Now, is that cool? Yes or no? Amen. Man, I'm sure glad they didn't have to understand everything. Because even Peter's going to write here in this same book, he says, you know that Apostle Paul, every once in a while, he writes things that are hard to be understood. He says, man, Paul is tough. I read Paul and I get lost. You think those Old Testament prophets ever got lost? Yeah. Let's keep reading. Something The Bible says, uh, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, which was in them did signify when it was testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, not, that, not unto themselves, but unto us, unto us, they did minister these things, which are now reported unto you by them, you've preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now, there's three main things that's going to go on in this. One, one's going to be the prophets, one's going to be the Holy Spirit, and one's going to be the angels. And I'm going to talk about all three of those tonight. We're going to find out what part they were trying to play in this passage, okay? That's where we're going to go. So, let's start, first of all, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Where's the only place that you can find in Peter's writings where he talks about angels and prophets in the same verse? Here. This is it. And by the way, this is the only time that Peter really mentions the angels. So about 95% of the stuff he mentions is always the prophets and about 5% of the time is angels because he doesn't mention them very often. So this is kind of a unique verse. This is one of those places where some things are mentioned that aren't mentioned very often. It's very seldom that you read about these things in the same context. Uh, as we look at this this evening, we're going to spend a little time and we're going to try to understand what were prophets. Does anybody know what a prophet was in the Old Testament? All right, look up here just for a second. I'll try to explain it to you. Prophets spoke for God to people. Okay, they represented God. They were God's spokesmen, and they spoke for God to people. Priests, Old Testament priests, were people that uh, were people that represented people to God. They were the ones that took their sacrifices and, and did all the rituals and all that, and they were representing these folks to God. So prophets and priests had completely different things. 
Uh, they're not the same office. You very seldom ever see a priest that's a prophet or a prophet that's a priest. Now, I'm not saying it's always that way because there were a few of them, but most of the time, two distinct people, two distinct different jobs to do, and they didn't, they didn't kind of intersect, okay? So he's going to talk here about prophets, and he's going to talk about how the prophets gave us the word of God. Now, when I think about prophets, I think about a, guys that took arrows of truth. Now, I know this is a dumb illustration, but they put them in the bow. When I was in seventh and eighth grade, we had archery. You know what's really nuts? Letting a middle school kid have a bow and arrow. Especially this one. <laughs> and they had a big hay bale with a... With a And you know what would happen? We'd go. Because sooner or later we're going to see you can shoot it to farthest. Yes or no? Zing! <laughs> well, there was a street. <laughs> no, there really was. <laughs> we'd zing them all the way out in the street and then we'd lose the arrows and then the coach would go over there and say, all right, you idiots. He'd come around with a paddle. That was in the old days. About that big, it was called Big Red. He'd light you up for that. But anyways, arrows were guys that would take their arrows and shoot arrows of truth off into the horizon. They had no idea where they landed. They just wrote what they were supposed to write. And they wrote a lot of things that would blow people's minds. Let me give you some of them. You got them on your paper, do you not? For example, they said that a, a baby would be born that was a virgin. A, a virgin would give birth to a little baby. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine writing that down and going, yes or no? That doesn't make sense. Would you agree with that? They talk about a, he'd be born in Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem was a wide spot in the road. Seriously. Why would the Messiah be born in a wide spot in the road? He would be born from the tribe of Judah. That verse talks about it, the sepulcher will never leave his hand. That royal scepter would not leave his hand. It goes on, he'd be, his ministry would begin in Galilee. He would do miracles. He would teach parables. He, he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. He would be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41.9. He, he would uh, be sold for 30 pieces of a, for silver. And he'd be accused by false witnesses. He'd be wounded and bruised. His hands and feet would be pierced. He'd be crucified with thieves. His garments would be torn and they cast lots over him. His bones would not be broken, Psalm 34, 20. Uh, that his side would be pierced. That he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. That he would rise from the dead. If you read the scriptures, there's, there's approximately 30, I think there's 33, 33 direct prophecies about Jesus Christ. And when you read down through these prophecies, you kind of go, wow. It's hard to wiggle, have much wiggle room when it says he will be born in Bethlehem, Ephraim. He's got to be born there because that's what they said. Amen. 
Did they understand that? No. So when you read this, they predicted that Christ would come. They shot those arrows up in the air, and where they landed, they just kind of go, okay, that's what he said, that's what you're right. Now there's a, a prediction that Christ would come. Let's look at the second thing. They didn't understand much of what they predicted. Can you imagine 25 guys getting together over a thousand-year period And they begin to write and put this jigsaw puzzle together. And they're, they're not in cahoots. There's no collusion. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out. And they write all these things down over hundreds of years and the puzzle fits perfectly. Looking back on it, but while they were writing it, David had a few pieces of the puzzle, Isaiah had a couple, Daniel had a few, Zechariah had a few, but nobody had them all. So these prophets kind of shot these arrows of truth in the air and they knew they would land somewhere. They'd be out there in the distant future sometime, but how does that all fit together? And who is this guy? So, of all the truth the prophets received through divine revelation, the truth of salvation and their greatest passion, Jesus Christ, from Moses to Malachi, they were fascinated with salvation. But they had no idea what it meant. They had no idea how God was going to pull it off because they had like two pieces of the puzzle and they're trying to figure out how they fit. They couldn't figure it out. So they tried to understand it. Let's, let's look at the passage. Let's look at the passage. The Bible says, if you look at verse number 10, they inquired, they searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come? That's talking about Jesus. Searching, notice, what or what manner of time? What are we writing about, Lord? And what exactly is the time that this is going to take place? And they had no idea. Obviously, the later prophets had the benefit of the prophecies that were given by the earlier prophets, but they had no clue. They had no idea. They Try as hard as you want, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't get a handle on what they were really saying. By the time you get, you know, about 400 B.C., you get to the silent years, they'd already come up with some ingenious ways to try to figure out what was going on. In fact, they said, there had to be two different Isaiahs. One Isaiah talks about a, a reigning Savior, and one Isaiah talks about a suffering Savior. They came up with these theories on, what are the prophets writing about? It just seems odd. It doesn't fit. So they tried to understand the when and the how. <laughs> the Lord really didn't explain it to them. 
But what they were talking about was basically three things. They were talking about the suffering, they were talking about the glory, and they were talking about the fact that someday this Savior would come and save people. He would give them salvation. Now, it will not take a lot of time, but when you look at the suffering, how about Psalm 22? You think David understood what those psalms meant, those prophecies of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think he understood what that meant? Do you think he understood the bulls of passion have surrounded the, crowd, uh, the cross and they're gaping on me with their mouth? you think they understood that? He had no clue. Isaiah writes, Unto us is born a Savior. He writes things like, His name shall be called Wonderful, Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Mighty Counselor. And he goes down through the, and he talks about, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. You think he understood any of that? Do you? I don't think he understood any of it. I think that's what the Bible's saying here. When they search diligently, they write this stuff down and they look at it and they say, good night, what does that mean? Let me show you a passage. Put your finger here. Turn over to Daniel. I'll just throw you, I'll just throw you one here, okay? I don't want to drive us nuts here. And I know we, some of you are here to buy some cakes and we don't want to discourage you. I was thinking of that verse tonight with such a wonderful crowd on Sunday night, whose God is their belly. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to throw that one in there. <laughs> Bible says that Daniel gets a vision. And let me see, when he gets this vision, look down uh, chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7. And let's, let's do a little look in here. Let's do a little search in here, see if I can find my notes where I wrote that down at. Um, let me see, Daniel chapter 7. Let's just find it. We'll start reading and we'll find it, all right? Bible says he gets this vision and he has a vision, verse 2, and he sees this great four great beasts that come up and he begins to write one looks like a lion another looks like a bear one looks like a leper verse 7 one is dreadful and terrible how many remember this story and he's he's talking about the little horn that comes out and he's got eyes like a man and and the Bible says, I beheld thrones that are cast down. And he says, I, I saw, uh, I beheld because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. He said, I beheld till the beast was slain. He sees all this stuff. He said, I saw in the night visions. And he said, finally, I was introduced to this guy who was, a, who was the ancient of days. <clears throat> Daniel, I was grieved in my spirit. Verse 15. And in the midst of the of my body, the visions of my head, they troubled me. How many would agree that Daniel's a prophet? He has a vision, he begins to write it down, he has no idea what he wrote, and it's bugging the heck out of him. Right? And the Bible says, and I came near to one of them that stood by and asked him uh, the truth of all this. He has an angel standing there, so he goes to this angel and he says, hey angel, interpret what I've seen. 
said, these great beasts which are four are four kings. Now, my point is this. Did the prophets understand what they wrote down? Absolutely not. And Daniel finally begs this angel, please interpret this. So they just wrote down what God said they were supposed to write down. Now let's go back to 1 Peter. How many getting what my point is? Okay? All right. Let's look at verse 1 Peter again. He says these salvation, the, these prophets inquired, they searched diligently, they prophesied of Christ Jesus, the grace that should come unto us. They were searching what, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when he testified before him the sufferings of Christ and the glory. So they talk about Christ's suffering, they talk about Christ's glory, and if you look at the prophets, it's really easy to find it. There's all kinds of passages that deal with both. That you can kind of make it. You remember when Jesus is, is going on the road to Emmaus, he basically goes through there and he begins to explain to these guys, these disciples, all the places he explore, he, he, he's explained in the Old Testament, and he kind of goes through this, the sufferings, and the glory. He said, here's where they prophesied that I was going to suffer. Here's where they prophesied that someday I would be in glory. And he goes through that whole thing. And finally, the light goes on. And they go, ta-da! And Jesus, he's gone. How many remember that? So they didn't understand. But they spoke of his coming glory and they talked about his suffering that someday he was going to go to the cross. Now, what's the great thing about being a Christian today? Do I have all of the Bible? Mm. I hope I don't get in trouble here. I'm not really trying to. Dumb illustration, but it works for me. They're talking nowadays about white Privilege. I have n I'm not really sure what that means other than the fact that I've worked my whole life and paid taxes my whole life. And if that's a privilege, that's great. But anyways, <laughs> it's just so I'd leave it there. <laughs> now, I will admit that it's wonderful that I was born in America. Amen. And I will admit that it's great that my mom and dad were saved. Amen. And I think it's fantastic that they made me go to church even when I didn't want to. They did. It's either go to church or we'll give you the, the buckle end of the belt. I'm not saying you should do that, but that's what happened every once in a while. Okay? But I will be really honest with you. It's a privilege to have a whole Bible. Amen. Are you listening to me? And I live in a really good age because I got some great Bible teachers out there that I can study after, guys like John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll. I could keep going with that list. I'm living in a really good age. Would you agree with that? Here's my word. I'm privileged. By the way, so are you. Would you agree with that? Because I'll be really honest with you. I know more about the Bible than some of the Old Testament prophets. 
I'm not saying that to be ugly. I'm saying that it's true. Because they didn't have all the books of the Bible that I have. And I can compare scripture with scripture. How many understand what I'm trying to teach? And I got all the pieces of the puzzle in the same box. And if I'll study and be diligent, I can actually put the puzzle together. Because I have the whole book. How many are getting what I'm trying to say to you? You got that? Now, they come along, these prophets, and they, they search. And the Bible basically says that they began to talk about the sufferings and the glory of Christ. They preach. And then the Bible says, unto whom is revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister these things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel. So the preachers, the apostles, began to preach God's word, and it was dictated through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wanted to make sure they got the truth. Are you listening to me? So he moved on them. Peter's going to talk about that in his next book. They were moved on by the Holy Ghost. Let me help you with inspiration, just because I think every once in a while we need to hear this again. Inspiration, the idea of being moved on is the idea of a current in a boat, and a boat has no rudder, and it has no mass, it has no sail. It's just on the current. And the Bible says these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. How much did they have to do with the, with the writing of the gospel? I think God so superintended his word, they wrote it down exactly the way God wanted it written down. Amen. Now, he didn't short circuit their personality because Daniel doesn't read like Isaiah and Isaiah doesn't read like Jeremiah. Would you agree with that? He allowed their human personality to come through, but they wrote it down exactly, exactly the way God wanted it to be. Why? Because God, the Holy Spirit, was superintending that whole process, making sure the Bible came to us perfect. You can say amen now. Amen. Don't miss out on that. And then the prophets began to preach it. Now, there's one last group we got to talk about. You ready? We're going to talk about the angels. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. Mm. Now, look up here, okay? I want to make sure we communicate. Angels are not able to be redeemed. Only Usums can be redeemed. Their job was to minister to the saints. Their job was to minister to God. And they're not going to be redeemed. Now, don't ask me, because I can't explain. What about the group of angels that followed after Satan? Boy, that's a tough question. If they would have repented, do you think God would have forgave them? I've thought about that one a long time. I don't know if there's an answer to that question. Okay? We'll just leave that one alone. But the bottom line is this. The angels, the Bible says, they, 
desire to look into what our salvation is. There's two words that are used for the Greek there. It's the idea of, of uh, I'll, I'll, I'll act it out this way. You remember when you used to try to climb things as a kid and you'd pull yourself up? How many remember doing that? Did you ever do that? And you, you was pulling yourself up and you barely got your head up there where you could look around. How many know what that? That's one word. And you could say that the angels are on their tippy toes pulling up as long as they can and get up there to look into what you've got as a Christian because you're saved. Or it's the idea, sometimes the word is used to stoop down. And they're stooping down from the banisters of heaven going. <laughs> and they're watching Christians trying to figure out what this incredible salvation is. Isn't that wild? Because they've never been redeemed. They have no idea what it's like to be saved. Angels aren't saved. But they sure like to know what it is. Let me show you something weird. Okay, you ready to look at something weird? Look back to the book of Deuteronomy. We'll just do a little Bible study here for a second. I got two minutes to pull this off, so we'll see how well we do. Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. Now, the Old Testament, first time a prophet got revelation was a guy named Moses. Would you agree with that? And he was up on top of a mountain called what? Mount Sinai. Is that correct? All right. Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. It says... And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and he rose up from Seir unto them and he shined forth from Mount Paran and he came with 10,000 of his saints. Now, I think that that word saints is a bad translation right there. I think it would be a better translation if it said heavenly messengers because I don't think it's talking about saints that are saved people. I think it's talking about angels. So the Bible says when Moses got the law on Mount Sinai, when God came down to the top of the mountain, God brought 10,000. By the way, that's not a literal number. That's a figurative number. A myriad. A number that's incredible. He brought holy messengers with him. They're talking about angels. All right, let's look at another passage. You ready to look at another passage? All right, let's look at Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Now look at Psalm 68 and verse number 17. It says, the chariots of God are 20,000. Even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in where? Sinai. Sinai in that holy place. 
How many remember when Moses was up on top of Sinai and God was giving him the Ten Commandments and giving him the law that the Bible said there was earthquakes and they had to put barriers out because if you went up and touched the mountain, God said, I'll kill you. How many remember that? And the Bible says there was thundering and there was lightning and there was thick clouds on top of the mountain. And Moses was up there for a long time. And finally, he comes down with Ten Commandments. How many remember that? Okay. Let's look at another passage. Let's look at Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen doing his history lesson with the Jews before they beat his brains out with stones. Acts chapter 7. Now, we're going to look at... uh, Acts 7, let's look down to verse number 33. Bible says in verse 33, I'm hoping I got the right one. It says, Acts 7 and verse number 33. He says, Then the Lord said unto him, Put off your shoes from your feet, because the place where you're standing is what? Holy ground. ground. Isn't that amazing? Look down to verse 38. Then is he that was in the church in the wilderness when the angels which spake to him, where? Now the he there is Moses because I just read that in verse 33. Is that correct? So when Moses is up on the mountain, God's given him the Ten Commandments. The Bible says angels spoke to him. Did you catch that? Okay. Let's go over to Galatians. Say, Pastor, how many verses do you have? (coughs) Just enough. Just enough. All right. Galatians chapter 3. Look down to verse number 19. The Bible says, verse 19, Wherein then serveth the law? What purpose is the law? It was added because of the transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by what? The Bible says the angels ordained the law. One more verse. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Look down about verse number two, okay? The Bible says, for if the word spoken by angels was what? Now, I already showed you. Who was on Mount Sinai with God when Moses received the law? Angels. Angels, Thousands of them. Right? And the Bible says that the angels ordained the law. And the Bible says that these angels were spoken They were word that was spoken by angels. Now, the Jewish rabbis believed that God gave angels the law and angels gave Moses the law. Yeah, before you mix it, uh, there's New Testament passage right here in verse number two that says their word was what? It's spoken and it's what? It's steadfast. Did they lie? No. Did they tell the truth? Yep. So could it be that God, at a, on occasion, at least in the Old Testament, used angels on occasion? 
By the way, who interpreted Daniel's dream? Come on, we just read that in Daniel chapter 7. Who interpreted his dream? An angel did. So in the Old Testament, maybe angels had a process of being in part of the inspiration, a part of the revelation of God's word. Isn't that wild? Now, he says prophets wrote down a bunch of things that they didn't understand. And angels would love to understand. They were even a part of the process. And they desire to look into salvation and they don't have a clue. And they pull themselves up on their tiptoes and they're looking to try to see what it is. And they're stooping down over the banisters of heaven. Watching saints. Trying to figure out what this salvation is. Now let me ask you a question. Here's my word again. Are you privileged? Yes. Come on, this should be a yes. yes. Are you privileged to be saved? Amen. Wow. What a great salvation I have. It's something prophets gave me that were inspired by the uh, Holy Spirit that angels even helped in that process and the prophets didn't understand it. And the bottom line is angels are still trying to understand and they're on their tiptoes and they're straining to see what it is. And I got it. <laughs> and if you're saved, you got it. Amen. Come on. Now, that's got to be kind of cool. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. So how many are glad you're saved tonight? Amen. And that's what my sermon is. Aren't you glad you came? That was, that's what it is. All right. At least maybe you heard something you had never heard before. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this great book of 1 Peter. Things we've never thought about. Things that, you know, we just kind of peruse down through there and it doesn't really stick in our brain. God, help us to realize we have a great and marvelous, wonderful, incredible salvation. And what a privilege it is to have all of God's word so that we can understand what it is that you've done for us. Thank you for a salvation that's not defiled, that will never pass away, that's absolutely ours because you keep it for us. We're grateful tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Our ushers are ready in the back. Come, fellas. It's time for our offering. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, bless us. Thank you for what we're learning out of this great book. And Lord, as we learn it together, help us to realize that we are privileged to be a child of God with a complete Bible that tells us the answers of the questions that we have. We know who the grace was that was going to come. It was Jesus. And we understand those Old Testament prophecies because we, we've seen those things fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We are so thrilled about who we are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again Increase in us we pray Unveil what we're made Come set our hearts ablaze with hope Like wildfire in our very souls Holy Spirit come 
Josh, are you going to give us some instructions as to what you want us to do? Because if you don't, we'll do whatever we like. That may not be what you want. All right. First of all, I want to thank you all for uh, your uh, generosity. I'm blown away by the generosity of this church. And uh, 